Hello from Washington. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. On this episode of Down Ballot Counts, we'll break down the upcoming primaries in North Carolina, a Super Tuesday state set for a ton of action this year. We'll spotlight a campaign ad running on TV halfway across the country that caught our attention. And later, you'll hear my interview with Casey Phillips, a Republican ad maker who just completed a fascinating documentary on how some U.S. elections that end in ties are decided. You may not believe it. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Okay, it's time for Jerome's Gem. Greg, what do you got? Thank you, Kyle. Jerome's Gem for this week is 30. That's the number of Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives from congressional districts that President Trump carried in the 2016 election. You'll be hearing this number a lot on down-ballot counts because it is that block of Democrats from Republican-leaning or politically competitive districts who will determine whether Democrats keep their majority in the House in the November election. Right now, there are 232 Democrats, 197 Republicans, one independent and five vacancies in the House. So Republicans need a net gain of about 20 seats for a majority. So those 30 Democrats from districts that voted for Trump are top targets for Republicans because, as we discussed on last week's program, most districts now vote for the same party for president and for Congress. Uh, most of the 29 of those 30 uh, who are seeking re-election are serving their first term. So they, they haven't become as politically ensconced in their districts as veteran members have. But these uh, younger members, these more junior members, Kyle, are raising a lot of campaign money. And as we noted, uh, as we've noted before, they won't be uh, easy to defeat. So 30, your Jero's Gem of the Week. That's right. And not only are they raising a lot of money, they're raising a lot more money than their Republican opponents. So uh, definitely that's the group of, of Democrats we're going to be watching the closest uh, as the year goes on. All right. Up next, we're heading to the Tar Heel State. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. A court-ordered new congressional map, a rash of retirements, and three competitive statewide contests for governor, senator, and president have placed North Carolina center stage in 2020. The curtain will rise on the drama on March 3rd, Super Tuesday, when most of the attention will be on all the Democratic presidential primaries. Greg, what should we be watching for down ballot? Well, down ballot, you have a competitive governor's race, which will probably be between the incumbent Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, and the Republican lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest. So listeners need to look out for that race as well. But there's also a high-profile uh, marquee U.S. Senate race in North Carolina this year for the seat that one-term Republican uh, incumbent Tom Tillis is defending. You have five Democrats running in the March 3 primary, including Cal Cunningham, a former state senator and military veteran, who is the preferred candidate of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the campaign arm of Senate Democrats. But you also have Erica Smith uh, running in this Democratic primary. She's a current state senator who's getting some unusual help from a super PAC that, is, that has Republican ties, Kyle, and is being uh, funded with $2.4 million trying to boost Smith in the Democratic primary against Cunningham. I think what's really interesting about this race, Kyle, is that it really underscores how Republicans would prefer to face 
Erica Smith, who's running as a more kind of traditional liberal or progressive candidate than Cal Cunningham, who is the preferred candidate of Senate Democratic leaders. Yeah, and Republicans see Cunningham in sort of the, the same profile as Dan McCready. He's, uh, of course, you remember, but he's the guy who ran in the 9th Congressional District special election, as well as in 2018, uh, the election that never got decided. Um, and he did really, really well, still came up short. But it's the kind of profile that you could see doing well statewide in North Carolina, which is very much a purple state, if not still slightly Republican-leaning. It certainly is a purple state. I looked at some of the statistics from past North Carolina elections, and in 14 consecutive Senate general elections in North Carolina, the winner has received less than 55% of the vote. That's a pretty impressive streak that really underscores how competitive North Carolina is. In the 2016 presidential election, President Trump carried the state by fewer than four percentage points. Maybe it's closer in the 2020 election. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, Tom, tell us, certainly if we were to rank uh, Senate races or at least make a top echelon of Senate elections we think are going to be competitive in November, Tom, tell us it has to be in that top block, I think. Yeah, both parties would agree with you on that. Now, there's also a few open House seats. Uh, we're watching closely uh, on Super Tuesday. That's right. You have three Republican reti- uh, three Republicans retiring from uh, Congress in this coming election, two of them because of a redistricting map that was implemented by the state legislature under court order. Basically, the North Carolina courts said that the uh, current Republican-drawn map, uh, which had elected 10 Republicans and three Democrats, was... Um, you know, it, it had problems as a, as a gerrymander, and it probably would have uh, been found unconstitutional under state law. So the legislature redrew the map. Uh, it, it gave the Democrats the advantage in two uh, more districts, North Carolina's second congressional district around Raleigh, North Carolina's sixth congressional district in and around Greensboro. You have two Republican incumbents retiring there, and it looks like the Democrats are going to take those seats over. The big question is who emerges out of those Democratic primaries. Those districts, the second, uh, you have Deborah Ross, a former state legislator who ran against Richard Burr, the Republican senator in 2016, lost by a narrow margin. So she has some name name recognition advantages there. In the 6th District, the Greensboro area district where Mark Walker, Republican, is retiring, Uh, you have a a multi-candidate Democratic primary there. That includes Kathy Manning, a lawyer and well-funded candidate who ran for Congress in 2018 against Republican Ted Budd in North Carolina's 13th District, lost that race narrowly, but she too has some name recognition advantages she may be able to use to her advantage in the March 3 primary. Yeah, and while that uh, that new map pushed some uh, Republican incumbents out, uh, people like Ted Budd got uh, a much nicer, more comfortable district to run in this time. Um, so he's one of the happy ones uh, coming out of this. And of course, Democrats are also happy because this map essentially gives them two extra seats, a two-seat cushion uh, as they defend their majority this year. That's right. And the third district I'd like to mention is North Carolina's 11th district. This is the western part of the state. This is the district that Republican Mark Meadows is leaving open to retire. You have 12 Republicans running in that district in that primary on March the 3rd, which really underscores how Republican-leaning the district is, how much pent-up ambition there probably is to succeed Mark Meadows. So we'll have to see who emerges from that primary, 12 candidates running. Um, You have a state senator there. You have another candidate who's been uh, backed by the Senate Conservative uh, Action Super PAC. So crowded primary there. And one thing about the North Carolina primaries is that you need 30 percent of the vote to avoid a runoff. So not 50 percent plus one like you see in some other states. So you could still win a primary in advance of the general election with a plurality of the vote. You just need 30 percent to advance. But North Carolina's 11th, that's a district to watch. 
That's right. And Obama won the state in 2008. And uh, of course, if a Democrat replicates that feat, it would obviously help uh, everyone else running down ballot in the party. Um, So we will see uh, how competitive it actually gets. And we'll leave it there because up next is our weekly look at a recent campaign ad that stood out to us. Let's take a listen. We have a woman who's fantastic, who's been a fan of ours right from the beginning, Kay Granger. I'm proud to be endorsed by President Trump. Together, we're rebuilding our military, securing the border, and restoring America's rightful place in the world. I'm Kay Granger, and I approve this message because there's still plenty of work President Trump and I need to do. Thank you, Kay. That was an ad from Kay Granger, a 12-term congresswoman from Texas's 12th district and the top Republican on the House Appropriations Committee. Greg, this isn't the kind of district we'd usually pay much attention to since it leans so heavily Republican, but she's facing a legitimate primary challenge from the right in just a few weeks. Yeah, and Kay Granger in Congress, she's never faced a serious challenger in the primary until this year when she's been opposed by Chris Putnam, a technology businessman running as a more loyal conservative and with the support of some outside money, some outside super PACs, Kyle. So Granger has this ad now that positions her as an unswerving ally of the president. And now that may not seem all that noteworthy for a Republican to run a pro-Trump ad, but Granger rebuked Trump a few times during the 2016 presidential election and in fact called on him to step aside as the Republican nominee after the release of the so-called Access Hollywood tape. So this ad really, I think, underscores how much President Trump has been, has come to dominate the Republican Party with very little dissent within its ranks. Yeah, and the Club for Growth is one of those outside groups uh, running ads against her. They've pledged to spend around $2 million, and they have a radio ad up right now saying she trash-talked the president. And I'd also note that Granger was the sponsor of a Republican resolution last week that sought to rebuke Speaker Nancy Pelosi for her actions during the State of the Union address. You can read more about Granger's role in that and her primary campaign in a story our colleague Emily Wilkins wrote February the 6th. You can find it on the Bloomberg government website at about.begov.com slash news. It's a timely story because that primary, Kyle, is just three weeks away. Yep, one of many races to watch on Super Tuesday. All right, after the break, you'll hear my interview with Republican ad maker turned documentarian Casey Phillips. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Not every election is decided at the ballot box. Some that end in ties actually come down to games of chance. I sat down with Casey Phillips, a Republican ad maker who just finished a documentary called Win, Lose, or Draw Straws on all the crazy ways that elections can end. Uh, coin flips, games of poker. Uh, you won't even believe it. But we sat down in his Alexandria studio to talk all about it. When we first started looking at this, I mean, I had a friend growing up whose dad won a race for judge in a game of poker. And I thought, you know, that's not standard. So I never really thought much about it. And then, uh, you know, going through, um, you know, working in politics, traveling the country, uh, I, I saw another mayor's race that was decided by um, names out of a hat. And I thought, oh, that's really odd. And then once uh, once I saw Hillary and Bernie uh, f- flip coins, um, I was already kind of started working on this documentary. And, uh, you know, having Hillary, went, what was reported, seven of seven uh, coin flips, you know, I thought, yeah, that's, you know, this is weird. It's always been a part of caucuses, and it probably always will be a part of caucuses. Um, what's also fascinating, though, is in 40 states, it can actually decide the election. 
Wow. So if you have two people running for state senate, congress, governor, uh, and they get the same amount of votes, it, uh, it it comes down to a game of chance. And there was a big one after 2016 in Virginia, right? De- Huge. Decided the majority of one of the houses in the legislature. Yeah, the, the House of Delegates was decided. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Virginia was determined on uh, names out of a bowl. It's just always, it's amazing to think that with all the your vote matters and everyone get involved, at the end of the day, it can literally be determined by names out of a hat or a coin. And so that's what the movie's about. But we've had everything from, you know, state legislator, uh, state legislature to uh, presidential races being affected by these things. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to back up briefly because uh, you and I actually met after the 2012 elections. Uh, I wanted to write a profile on an up and coming consultant. And everyone I talked to and asked about, they kept pointing me uh, your direction. When you go into making a TV ad for a client, what exactly are you what exactly is your goal? What goes into a making a good TV ad is, honestly, for me, it's effort. Um, I see a lot of um, work in this business that I consider to be, you know, I don't want to say lazy, but I want to say that they could have done better had they just given it another 10%, right? So I think that a big part of being able to produce really quality content is not taking too many clients um, spending time with those clients, listening to them, understanding the, the, both the, the candidate you're trying to sell and the people you're trying to sell it to. And at that point, you know, um, it, it, you, for me, it just kind of flows out. Cool. Well, and so now all of a sudden you are a documentary film director. How did this project and your decision to go for it really come about? Well, so, and this is, I'm a weird person. I mean, just flat out weird. Anything that I like, I want to be able to know how to make. Yeah. I just kind of like to get my hands dirty and that's actually the way my brain works best. And then I'm traveling the country with a film crew, right? Like if I'm not working on a documentary, I would feel like I was leaving something on the table. So being able to produce this for pennies of what it would cost some, a studio to go out and, and do it. And then having it be political, I have the access to, um, you know, not only Republican consultants, but Democrat consultants that do just what we do. Um, you know, our lives are extremely similar and I see them in the airport and say, Hey, could you put me in touch with this person? And, you know, usually, usually they're more than happy to, because, you know, it's kind of, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. And you're flying around to, uh, uh, film candidates for their commercials in their States. Um, I don't want to give it too much away, but uh, what was the most surprising tie-breaking mechanism you came across uh, in your travels? Well, we're still trying to um, we're still trying to sort out if it's true or not. But there is an article in uh, in the Anchorage Daily News, I believe it is, that tells us about a tiebreaker during territorial elections. So that would have been you know prior to becoming a state where two candidates tied for the state senate and they had a whiskey drink off at the local saloon in town. So it was <laughs> one shot glass, one bottle, back and forth, back and forth until somebody uh, fell off their chair and whoever didn't had to go uh, to the Capitol and vote. Wow. So, yeah, I All mean, right. a phenomenal story. Um, you know, we've been researching it forever and haven't been able to really nail down who they were, but it's it's a news story. So, And, and I saw a woman in the trailer who um, mentioned an arm wrestling 
competition potentially? So they come up with all kinds of ideas. And I mean, uh, in, in Kentucky specifically, it's, it's um, against the law to duel. So you can't <laughs> kill the other person. Um, in Colorado, you get to choose whichever sort of game of chance you want. So uh, two guys running for a city council seat did kind of a spinoff of uh, rock, paper, scissors called Ninja Bear Cowboy. And so you stand back to back, you turn, and it's like ninja beats cowboy, cowboy beats bear, bear beats ninja. <laughs> so, um, so that that's how they select they selected themselves there. So this documentary doesn't simply document the reality of these tie-breaking votes in elections. What does it say, and what are you hoping it sparks in terms of a conversation in America? Well, I mean, the reason that. I was so careful to make sure that it was nonpartisan was because I don't, you know, there's so much partisanship out there right now. And if so much of what I do is, is, is partisan and not helping that problem. So, uh, one of the things that I want to do was to make a, 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 you know, a people in my generation, uh, regularly tell, even tell me, then they know I work in the business. It doesn't matter. I don't matter. And so I thought, what a better way to, show people directly that their vote could have mattered than putting two people who tied on screen. So any one vote either way, uh, you know, makes a difference not only in that in that race, but in the legislature, the legislation coming out of it and and in someone's life. And so for for me, that was the um, you know, that's the message. But I try not to be too preachy about it because they're interesting enough as they are, but if I'm screaming at you, go vote, then it's not a movie, it's a PSA. So I want people to take from the movie what they will, but I hope it certainly uh, you know, tells people in my generation or any generation that, that, they can, that they can count. All right, so what's next for the film? Where can our listeners you know, watch this thing? So honestly, we're just waiting for a film festival to take a chance on us. Um, we, uh, you know, we thought we had high hopes for Sundance, but uh, Taylor Swift just s- swooped in and <laughs> took our spot. We thought we were good. Hillary came in with a doc, took that spot. So um, we're officially Sundance rejects, but uh, we are um, submitted to about thirty festivals, and we're waiting to hear back. Uh, as soon as we get a premiere. Uh, I'm going to let everybody know. I can't wait to have everyone come out and, and watch it. And then, uh, you know, we'll try to figure out how to, we have a sales agent now. So, uh, we figure out how to get it onto streaming services in time for, uh, for fall. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, you can learn more about the film at drawstraws.film and you can follow Casey on Twitter at Casey Phillips one Casey. Thanks so much. This is down by the counts. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I'll try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But before I ask this week's question, let's review last week's question. And I asked, how many U.S. senators are seeking re-election in November in states that were won by the opposite party's presidential nominee in 2016. In other words, how many Republican senators are seeking re-election in states Hillary Clinton won, and how many Democratic senators are seeking re-election in states Donald Trump won? Add them together. Kyle, what do you have for me? I've got four. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. And can you name all four Republican and Democratic senators? 
Oh, that's tough. All right. <laughs> Put you on the spot. You don't have to do no, that, I got Kyle. It. I got it. Doug Jones, Corey Gardner. Yes. Yes. Uh, Susan Collins. Correct. And Gary Peters. Gary Peters of Michigan. You got all four, too. So really put you on the spot there by forcing you to name all four of them. You got them all right, of course. So well done on that. But let's see if you are ready for this week's question. Bring it on. All right. You're on the hot seat. Here's this week's question. There are three states where both senators' last names begin with the same letter of the alphabet. You don't have to name all three states or even every senator, but just name me Two of the states, Kyle and listeners, two of the three states where both senators' last names begin with the same letter of the alphabet. I have to say that I didn't invent this question, but I heard it from a friend last week who heard it at a game he recently played, and I liked it so much, I'm going to borrow it here for Don Ballot Counts. I'm going to give Kyle and you, the listeners, plenty of time to think that over until next week, in fact. But if you can, sh- you can shoot your answers anytime you want to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet the answer to the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's program. That's it for us today. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz and RJ Jewell. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week. Hi there. I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.